0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.
1: Hi, everybody. I'm usually very excited to record these shows, but I'm more excited than ever today because I know this woman personally, but from a connection that may surprise you as we go along. This is a woman who changed my life and you will hear why throughout the show. We're here to talk principally about angels, and we're going to find out why that's such a popular topic, but we're with a woman who started the whole angel craze, if I could call it that, and you'll hear more about that as well. Let me not dally anymore at all. Let me introduce to you a guest who I am beyond honored to interview, and that is Sophie Burnham. Sophie, welcome to the show
0: in silence it's a great honor to be here and to see you.
1: Oh, my God, you look gorgeous.
0: I'm so happy we haven't seen each other in a long time.
1: Well, I want to tell people how we initially met as we get into this, but I, I want to say publicly, I started to tell you before we pressed record, but I wanted to tell everybody that as I was reviewing two of your books last night, getting ready for today, I was filled with such a sense of honor and reverence not just for your work, but for you. You have so much wisdom to share with the world. And yet you're you don't come across as the wise, the wise woman, even though you are, you have a, a lightness, a, a brightness, a little bit of sassiness to you that I, I know will come across. So let me just tell people, you wrote a book that became a bestseller, and I know it surprised you, and that is a book of angels. Why do you think it became such a bestseller and started the angel craze back in 1991, 1990?
0: Well, first of all, I have to tell you that I did not write it for publication. I wrote it because I needed to understand something. I I needed to understand all of these strange, I can use the word miraculous, incidences and coincidences and events that had happened to my life, which included an angel saving my life dramatically. But it was much more than that. I mean, the angel saving my life, I did what anybody would do. I said, oh, well, that didn't happen.
1: Oh, yeah. We'll, we will talk about that later. So stick with us, because we always love the stories on this show. But...
0: but then I came to a point in my life where I could not ignore these things any longer, and I began to set down all of the stories just to try to lay them out, and then I would have some understanding of what what it was about. And when it was finished, I thought, this book is really good, and I couldn't sell it. Really? About five years passed, I had an agent. I don't think he ever sent the book out, ever. I sent it at one point to Edgar Casey's publishing house. They turned it down. No. And then I went up to the National Cathedral, here's a story, where they have, in Washington, D.C., this is, where they had, at that time, A um, chapel open 24 hours a day. And I did not kneel down and pray. I put myself out flat on the stone floor, weeping and pray and offering myself to God and saying that I had worked with all my mind and heart and soul and strength, not only for this book, but for a few others, all unpublished, and that when I went home, when I died and went home, I would have to say that I'd failed, oh. and at that moment, while I'm there pouring out my heart and weeping uncontrollably, and I'm a cruel woman, I do. I'm in my 40s then. There are these little footsteps I hear coming in and I get up and I brush away my tears and I pretend that everything is all right the way we do. And this lovely woman came in and I can tell you she was not an angel because I saw her afterwards as a human being, but she was certainly being directed by angels because she told me, This is now late at night, 1130 or 12 o'clock at night, but she woke up in the night and had a terrific urge to come down and be at the chapel. And we went into conversation and she was an artist and she told me that all we can do is to do the work with all our heart and mind and soul and strength and the outcome of it is not our responsibility. That's entirely up to God. And I went away greatly, greatly comforted and decided, oh, okay, I don't have to do this anymore. I can get a job like normal people. (laughs) I discovered I was totally unemployable. (laughs) But at that moment when I gave up, Everything fell into place, and almost immediately I had a new agent, and she said, I can sell this book. The publisher did not expect to sell very many copies, they printed 5,000 copies, but no one in the publishing house could stop working on it. It was quite remarkable. The whole thing was guided, I do believe, because they all said. We have a lot of work, but I can't stop working on this
1: book. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, definitely. Really beautiful.
0: And when the book came out, there was no publicity. They thought they would sell 5,000 copies to libraries and make up their investment. And instead, people found it in bookshelves where it fell off the shelf at their feet basically oh. many times. And They would buy 10 and 12 copies and buy them for their friends who would buy 10 and 12 copies, and it became not only a bestseller but a phenomenon.
1: A phenomenon, absolutely. 25 languages it was translated into,
0: and 26 I can say now because it's recently into Chinese.
1: Outstanding, oh, <laughs> but in and it, had, it was you had articles published in all the big name magazines and it literally started the whole angel craze and it did yeah
0: and they sent me on a tour after it became clear that they could not keep it in print and I went on a tour of the whole country on television and radio and that I have to tell you was hell. never, never, never asked to be a celebrity. (laughs) It is perfectly horrible. Perfectly horrible. In what way? Stressful, tiring? It's lonely. You don't even know where you are. Did you just say this yesterday? Yes, you did. I'm repeating myself. And, And you're lonely and you're tired and you want to go home. Yeah. Be alone. You don't want it. I mean, it's a big deal to present yourself. And on the radio or the television shows, they haven't read the books. They don't know what they're talking about.
1: But those who did read it were sharing it. And no wonder, because it, it just yeah. draws you in. And I love that I have an edition, the second edition, and, and there's the, you know the updated preface and the old preface. And and you say you talk about how you've changed, and we'll talk about that. But one thing that struck me is when you said that you were amazed and ashamed at being called the angel lady and ashamed at how people had commercialized angels. I'd, I'd love if you talk about that.
0: Yes, that's really true. Um, all these little angel stores. Broke up. They stopped now mostly, but they were selling angel bric a and towels and T-shirts. It was everywhere, and and I felt that it diminished and trivialized something that to me was sacred and holy and beyond description, beautiful. Um something beyond our comprehension on this physical plane and i was ashamed in that way and i was ashamed also because in my upbringing i'm considerably older than you but in those days a young girl a woman might be in the newspaper for birth marriage and death and that was it (laughs) we were not supposed to Claim our power the way. The way women can now, and the way I'm so happy to see that we are doing. i just yes.
1: But why? I mean, angels. But, I mean, we you know the angels weren't ashamed. This was all part of a plan to popularize them more, to bring them into our awareness. Why do you feel they waited so long? Why did they? Why did they suddenly? burst into the popular realm
0: God's timing is perfect and if it had come out in 1985 when I wanted it to come out people would not have been ready for it there's a moment and God's timing is always I say God as if I knew what God was <laughs>
1: you a spiritual <laughs> director you you are trained as a spiritual director you we all have our own concept of God, but all one has to do is read your books and you know, you know. Uh, know. But it's,
0: let me call it the divine or fate or this spiritual has has plans and it was the right timing. And it has continued to be ever since. It was a period earlier of uh total secularist humanism, which I completely agree with also, but suddenly this burst of spirituality, of opening up, and people could see in their hearts the goodness of it all.
1: God's God's timing. And so we're going to go off the topic of angels for just a minute so I can tell people how you changed my life and the divine timing of that. And there's a detail that you probably don't know, and there's going to be something that surprises anybody who's read my book, Messages of Hope. And that is that you and I met. Do you remember how we met? I do. We've met at Anne Gaiman's workshop. That's right. Anne Gaiman is the medium who I featured in my book, The Priest and the Medium. And I was looking for someone to help bring my stepdaughter, Susan, through. I had I w- had hoped that she existed after she passed, but I was not sure. So I tried to get a reading with Ann Gaiman, and she wasn't giving readings, but she had a workshop, and you were in that workshop. And we sat next to each other. We did. But I don't know if you remember this moment when Ann Gaiman said, Someone is going to write my biography, and I don't know who it's going to be. People have been trying for years. And I remember you raised your hand and you said, I'll write it. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember. And and I remember thinking, God, I would love to be the person who writes your biography, but look, sitting beside me is a New York Times bestselling author who am I to think I could write Ann Gaiman's biography? Well, that was a whole spirit thing. That that was a setup so that I would meet Anne and that would unfold. But it was our your, yours and my connection in that class that showed me you could see spirits. I remember going to you after class and saying, are you a medium? Do you remember that? I don't
0: remember that, but I do remember giving you a reading in that yeah. class. It I- wasn't. I don't remember what came through, but I remember being astonished at how much I knew.
1: Well, this is the life-changing part, so if you don't remember it correctly, it's because it was just probably another reading for you. But everybody, Sophie Burnham is the medium who brought Susan through to me for the first time with Ty in your apartment in Washington, D.C. I changed your name in the book. I don't know why I was guided at the time to change it, but... We did an exercise in the class with Anne, and you were paired up with another woman. And you said, oh, her aunt and spirit was here, and you brought through all these details. And I thought, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for someone who doesn't know me, doesn't know my last name, can't Google me. I need a reading with her. And you agreed to do a reading. And Ty and I came to your apartment in Washington, and that's where you brought through our Susan and changed our life by saying, and she's bringing with her this little baby boy who she doesn't know, knows that you don't know, and she wants to introduce him to you. And Susan had been pregnant with a baby boy. But you also saw angels behind me. And at the time, I thought that was ridiculous because I didn't believe in angels, And I couldn't process everything you told me except to say that I could not deny the evidence you gave me about Susan. Hearing your voice talking now on this podcast is kind of jarring to me because I've listened to that recording so many times and your voice is exactly the same. So you're the one who turned my worldview on its end by showing me Susan is right here in the room with us. And here we are today.
0: Sorry, Susan, of seeing your daughter and how it happened.
1: I'm sorry, but I missed the first part of that.
0: May I tell the story of how I saw your daughter? I would love that, yeah. From my point of view. Yeah. Susan came to me, called me, and she said, I'd like a reading. May I bring my husband?
1: Oh, I, Suzanne, yes, me, I did. Mm -hmm.
0: And I said, no but he can go into the other room while you have your reading. If he wants his reading, he can have an individual one, but the two of you together will interfere, the energies of both will interfere. So you said, well, I don't know if he wants to come anyway. Anyway, you came and he came also and I put him into the other room and we settled down and I started the reading with seeing the angels. And then I felt, oh, there's a spirit that wants to talk, but wait, I'm not ready yet, I'm still talking. Wait a minute, wait a minute. And then finally I said to you, there's a spirit here who wants to talk to you. And she keeps saying, mother, mother. And you said, I don't have any children. I said, well, that's not my problem. She's calling you her mother. And you said, what's she wear? And I said, she's wearing some really ugly brown, Um, uniform, pants
1: and big boots. Big boots. Yep. Marine Corps.
0: (laughs) And there's a little baby with her about knee high. And you said, let me get my husband. And he came in and sat and this spirit flew into his arms and threw her arms around his neck. Do you remember this?
1: I'll never forget it.
0: We were all three of us in tears. And she stayed in his lap with her arms around until it was time for her to go. And I can remember saying, you have to hurry and say what you need to say. They can't stay very long and she has to go back now. And then she went back and then we gave you a reading.
1: (laughs) that That was the whole goal. You had no idea how desperate we were for validation and that there were so many more things than what you just shared. Do you remember sitting there on your seventh floor apartment, the window open only this much, and this big, heavy, potted plant fell off the coffee table and shattered on the floor? I forgot that, but you remind me I do remember now. And you didn't miss a beat. You were so focused on Susan, and Ty and I just, we, we kind of thought, how did that just happen? And we went on with the reading. You just said, oh, we'll clean that up later. But- Plants don't just fall on the floor by themselves. The wind was not blowing. It was a lovely, lovely experience. At, at that time, I had no idea that you were this, literally world famous, author and and not. It's not just the book of angel. I haven't really shared your biography, but anybody look up Sophie Burnham on Wikipedia. She has a tremendous resume that's on there. That's so impressive. I mean, it, you didn't. When you say you hadn't published anything, Sophie, you had quite a a lot of uh, writing to your credit at that point and since.
0: I did, but I'd written six books in eight years, and I couldn't get any of them published. And I didn't want to write what anybody wanted me to write, and I was just impelled to write the stuff nobody wanted. And then later, they all came out in God's times, like. Yes. like trains in the station, ready to, ready to roll.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, um, and it's been great. Yeah. So I'm I'm working on a book now about what it's like to be old.
1: Uh, oh, Didn't that come out in the reading I did for you? That you were you you had more books than you you everybody. It's so funny because the tables were turned. Read it. You reached out to me and said, may I have a reading? And I thought, oh my goodness, look at the cycle of life here. But that came out, remember? I do. And you told me that and I didn't believe you. <laughs> oh, that's great. Ah, That's wonderful. Well, before we go too far into in, some of your other books and the deeper meaning here, will you share with us the the story that I just read again last night from your book of that moment that caused you to think maybe angels are real before you dismissed it?
0: Okay. I'm a young woman. I have a baby. So I think I'm 28 or 29 at the time. I do not believe in God because I am married to a profoundly religious atheist. And I am trying desperately to keep up with him. I'm not doing very well because I can't stop praying, but I'm trying. And we go skiing in Val d'Isere in France with some friends of mine. <clears throat> uh, Val d'Isere is in the high Alps above the tree line, and I'm a really good skier. And David was a good skier, too. We both really loved skiing. And, and the snow is packed hard. In there they do not have have uh, ski patrol who oh, oh, who oh. scanning the slopes afterwards to find people who've been lost or fallen down. So you'd better stay on the piste on the track. Don't go off the track because you'll fall off a cliff or you'll start an avalanche. So we're skiing and I'm, David David is ahead of me and he stops on a kind of slope where it's gonna turn off to the, to the right and go around a corner. And I'm coming down the hill toward it really fast and I put my skis together to stop. And it's, the snow is so hard it doesn't, like me, skis don't even grip and I go right past it and down. And then the next thing I know I'm falling With my skis over my head, looking at the sky, I'm falling headfirst, and I'm going really fast on snow that is like ball bearings. It's so hard. And I can't seem to pull my skis around and stop myself. And at a certain moment, I say, it doesn't matter. I'll hit a tree or a rock. Forgetting totally, there are no trees around, but only rocks. And it doesn't matter because at that moment, my heart leapt out of my body and I thought, home, between my skis, looking at the sky, I see this colors we don't even have words for. It's not only yellow and blue and pink and green, but Shades I've never seen before, and it is absolutely staggeringly beautiful. And as I say, I think home, although I don't know what home means, mind you, it's just my heart's word. And at that moment, I stopped. And the reason I've stopped is because up above David standing on the hill watching me fall, I'm skier all in black comes tearing past him down the hill i'm falling this way he goes around me stops and my head and shoulders bump into his legs i might add that afterwards i did not have a stiff neck the two of us did not fall down together at the speed that i'm falling he should have at least chopped a little. It, the landing against him was as soft as putting a baby in a crib. Oof. And so I stood up and I looked in his eyes and his eyes are black, dark, deep, deep brown like yours Suzanne, and pools of love. I have never had anyone in my life look at me with eyes like that in an instant I fell in loss <laughs> <laughs> and so I said merci monsieur I wanted to hear his voice I wanted to hear him speak but he did not speak he did not do anything he turned and he started haram up the hill up the and past David who reached out to say hey that was interesting great great and he shot off Down the hill to the right, actually. David's right. And during this time, I'm coming up after him with herring boning after him. And I'm a strong skier. And it was like Mickey Mouse following the seventh league giant. So powerful. And when I got up, David said, are you okay? Are you okay? I'll talk to you later. I said, my shot off after this, man." And then you go around the corner and the whole valley opens up these distances that you have on the Alps. And way, way, way down at the bottom of the valley is the little town of Teen. and people that are the size of very small black ants and nothing else, not a single person anywhere to be seen. And certainly no one skiing in a black ski suit at a time when all the skiers are skiing in bright colors, And I'm making these long passes thinking maybe he's behind a a furrow or something, some ridge, but he had gone. He just completely vanished in an impossible way. And then I looked over to my left and I realized I had fallen on the on the top of a slope that ended in a cliff straight down with these huge boulders at the bottom. And a little bit further on, I would have fallen off that cliff and been killed on the boulders. So I spent the next week looking for this man. I mean, of course my thought was, Something special happened there—the sky, the light, my heart leaping out of my body. I've never forgotten that. His eyes, the love that poured out. My mother said that was your guardian angel, but I—I I dismissed it because I was not prepared to do what accepting it would require of me. I was a a wife and the mother of a little girl. I could not go and found hospitals and start (laughs) charitable organizations. I'm not that person. And and, uh, why me came up a lot. It was only many years later after seeing some ghosts and learning a great deal why
1: the words, why not me, became more. And, and I know a few people just went, did she just say seeing some ghosts? So yes, this this opened up new realities for you, huh? It completely opened up. What is a reality
0: that we do not see? Most of the time it's all around us. Everything, Suzanne, is shining with his spiritual light. And now that I've reached this incredible age in my eighties, I see it most of the time. Most of the time if it is one of the great gifts that I have managed to live long you
1: enough know, to be able to find it. You are a gift. Your writing inspired me so much that after I read A Book of Angels, initially after our reading, I went on to read more of your books that talk about deep spirituality and even in the book of angels you address the big questions that so many of us want to know and i would love for you to address this question of why were you or why are certain other people saved from accidents when there are many people who watch this program and they say why wasn't my child why wasn't my partner saved by an angel that's the big
0: question isn't
1: it yes the big question.
0: Well, one one thing that I have truly come to believe, and we get a sip of water. One thing that I have truly come to believe is that we do not die. There is no death. There's a passage from one form into another's form. And the people that we called died are still there with us in another form, invisibly. And to that extent, it doesn't matter. I think, I can't remember who it was who said, as soon as you come to terms with life, you know how to, with death, you know how to live. Once you understand that death is our friend, Um, first, everything becomes more precious in this life because we know how temporary it is. And secondly, knowing how temporary it is and how we'll see it on the other side also. And as you say that, you know, you've… It's crazy. I know there are people out there who do not believe at all that anything happens after you died, but I have seen so many spirits. I have had so many strangers and loved ones come
1: back and talk. How can I not yeah. share what I know? And as, But as you said, once you come to terms with death, it doesn't matter. Those who are grieving will say, but it matters to me, I want them back. Would you address that?
0: I will say that is an expression of your love. Grief is nothing but love, and it doesn't have to be pleasant. (laughs) You, You take your grief and you turn it around and say, this is me loving. It changes the pain. It is no longer as painful. It's. It's different. Just as loving is different from wanting. There's so much to say about this. Many times we say my prayers are not answered. I want, I lack, I need and we get trapped in the want and lack and need. And we're begging and needing and wanting and lacking. And we can't step back enough to have the gift given to us. So one day I was communing with my spirits or guides or angels, and I asked a question and the answer came, pray. And I thought and asked. Why should I pray? You know what I want. What's the point? And and the answer came to me, seemed like a painting, Suzanne, where you see it all at once, and then it divided into three parts. And the first part was, so that we will know what you want, in order that we may bring you what you need making that distinction between what and me. And the second thing was, because when you pray, you might be on your knees for 15 minutes, but for 15 seconds in that time, you will let go and create a window that we can dive through to bring you the desire of your heart. This idea that You have to let go. Okay, I've told you what I want. Now let go and let go. I'm open to whatever comes. But the third thing I would never, never have thought of in a million years, those two I might have made of, but not the third. And what third was, because we need the energy of your thought and prayer in order for us to do our work. And I had never at that time thought that we are in relationship and they need us to do their work. They are working for us. We don't work for the angels. Being a human is really, really hard. That's why we have angels to help us.
1: Yeah. I had just read that concept recently, and, and it was in an older book, They're probably 60 years old, if not older, uh, and it they called it the law of complementarity. That you must give out your energy to receive the higher energy. And that's exactly that third step that you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah.
0: But we also have to let go of want and lack, which acts like the bow wave of a loader boat as it's coming into the dock. You know, you've got to cut the loader back so it can drift in the dock. Otherwise the bow wake will sweep the boat off to the side. And that's what happens when we're praying constantly from lack. We
1: we're veered off.
0: We can't can't get to the dock. <laughs>
1: hmm. Beautiful analogy. It's a little frightening to me because I'm going to be docking my boat two days from now. <laughs> so you just reminded me, cut the throttle back. Yeah. I always pray as I as I dock the boat. Angels guide me. You take over the throttle. So you were talking about communing with your your spirits what is your practice like is that a regular thing or just throughout the day how do you commune
0: it used to be a very formal thing where i would find myself in a in a difficult place or confused and i would sit at my desk and i would begin i'll tell you exactly how i'm doing it what I call automatic writing. I would begin by an invocation. God, angels, guides spirits, come talk to me. I need you. And then I pause and I make little Vs with my pencil on the paper, just sort of waiting. And then my hand will write, We are here, or something like that. And then I ask my question, writing it out. And then they answer writing it out, often in a slightly different hand, often with a a knowledge that precludes words. I remember once asking, how do I know I'm not making this up? How do I know it's not my imagination? At which point they went away, and instantly I felt Totally different. I mean, it was like having a mantle and then, oh, I'm naked. (laughs) Almost bereft, right? Yeah. Yeah. Today, I don't have to do that. I don't have to write it out formally any longer. I think, and I have an answer, and I have come to trust my answers and my intuition and that takes a little practice. You make mistakes at first, and the mistakes are so that you'll learn what it feels like when you're not listening. And pretty soon, you don't have to be guided with
1: cattle prods down the road.
0: You can be guided with silken reins.
1: listen. You know, I was stunned when you say about guided and cattle prods. I was stunned reading your biography on Wikipedia that you attended a girls' military and equestrian boarding school. There's the horse reference with strict discipline. That just a girls' military school, way back when, right. and it was on the drill field. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And your and for your commencement ceremony, you had the Joint Chiefs of Staff review your military drill. Oh my goodness!
0: I know. Yeah. I- it was one of my other lifetimes.
1: <laughs> yes. yes, <laughs> And yet you say in your book, These Days, and you said it here, you see angels and spirits naturally. Did you do anything to develop that or did it unfold as a result of your belief opening? What To what do you attribute that? Oh, Suzanne, my whole
0: life has been spent searching for this. At girls' military school, I was miserably unhappy because bells rang every hour, me to wake up or eat or go to study hall or go to bed. (laughs) Every hour was marked with bells, and I could never find myself alone enough to make contact. Although I didn't, as a child, know that I was doing it. But then, um, I wasn't looking for it at all. Ghosts came, my mother died, ghosts came, I came to believe. It wasn't difficult to understand. But then there was a point about midway through my life, and I was in my forties, and my marriage was breaking up, and I was on a deep spiritual search. I can remember looking in the mirror and thinking, "I have everything. We have this beautiful house in Georgetown. I have two healthy, beautiful daughters. My husband is a wonderful man. I have clothes. I have shelter. I have food. Is this all? Is this all? Listen, it's not." And. Even as I was thinking that in the mirror, I can remember seeing a shadow on the corner of my eye and looking and there was no one there. And I think that's what began my spiritual search. I wasn't finding it in church and I wasn't, I wasn't finding it in the physical. What I was looking for, I ended up getting an Indian guru. I did just meditation for a while, and then did meditation, came to believe, strangely, that I really understood what Jesus was talking about, but it was not taught to us in church what he was talking about. And uh, and then I had certain mystical. Revelations.
1: They changed me, some. Would you Would you ask be guided to share just one of those that that would help anybody who's listening? One of your mystical revelations. What What just guided you even deeper onto this path? Um, I was in a period of
0: utter misery in my life beginning with that, standing in front of the mirror. And I began, oh, a long period, let's say five or six or eight years. And toward the end of this, I was praying and fasting and meditating and searching and reading and and if there is a God, show me, show me. It's not enough to read about it. I'm too dumb for that. I want to see it. And then I was sent on an assignment to Peru and Costa Rica to write an article, and not about Peru or Costa Rica, but to write that part of writing about the article. And I went to Machi Picchu. And there, I knew something was going to happen in in Machi Picchu. I didn't know what, but I knew that I was being guided there and that it would be important. And indeed, in, when I got there, it was wonderful, but I asked the tour guide, I said, I need to go away and be alone now walk onto the terraces up there and you can find a place to meditate. He even used the word. I didn't say I wanted to meditate. And I sat down to meditate and in a flash, I was in the midst of a profound mystical experience. And when I came out of it, 45 minutes had passed, and I had seen, not God, but the waving of the grasses in the passing of the garment of God. <laughs> and after that, I was cellularly changed. I could see light streaming off the palms of my hands. I could see light surrounding other people as I do now. As we're all of us shining with light, and not only us, but trees and grass and dogs, every living sentient thing, and trees by the way, are sentient, and and they're all we're all surrounded by our spiritual essence, and that essence is love. And then I came home and my marriage broke up and I spent many years in anguish and tears and trying to accommodate it. It's not something I would wish on anybody. It's much better to have a long,
1: gradual But, so this is what's interesting, you tell this story and, and I'm feeling very sure that many people listening thought, oh, so instantly your life became joyous. and oh, you? no, absolutely not. Yeah. This, is, this is part
0: of what I was writing about in The Ecstatic Journey.
1: This is her book that I also read after the Book of Angels, The Ecstatic Journey. It's outstanding and deep. Mysticism
0: and what happens to you when you have an experience and what happens to you afterwards. And it is not all happiness and joy and pleasure there's there's an enfoldment as you try to to fold up the sheets of the life again and make make them make sense and oh i can't tell you how many tears i wept because i couldn't be in that space
1: And yet at the same time, that's your journey because there are people who are transformed and are all joyous. So if you're just, what you're showing us is that each journey is unique. Yet that was such a turning point for you.
0: Each one is different, and it's a long lifetime journey. And I believe that's why we're here. I believe that we agree to come down to a physical form. And we want to do it in order to have the extraordinary, exquisite experience of having hands to touch with and lips to kiss with, arms to embrace with. We want the experience of holding a child or of having a mother or father, of what it is to have a want, because... Humans are all about wanting.
1: (laughs) And maybe even what it is to grieve, right? And, And what it is to grieve, Sophie, also even that. Grieve, yes,
0: to have these emotions. And so where we say, oh, yeah, that sounds great, I can do that. And then we come down and immediately the memory of what came before is wiped out. And we're saying, whoa, why didn't reading this? <laughs> you know, I said I would come be homeless. I didn't know it was going to hurt. And um, I think the angels envy us, our physical form, this gift of being alive in a body for a very, very short time. It's over in the black, it gone. And, and and then you're back to being in the spiritual dimension, which has its own great beauty, but you don't have a physical form. You can't embrace with your hands and arms.
1: That's beautiful. A lot of answers there for people who are seeking now. You're in your eighties. You're late 80s.
0: I'm eighty-six. I'll be eighty-seven in another
1: few weeks. Yeah, yeah. You must have a birthday right around ties. Um uh what my horse. I still You still ride your horse. Huh? Still ride my horse. And write books. And
0: and yeah, and I love every minute of living. I'm not I'm not ready to go yet. Yeah. If I do it'll be okay.
1: What would you tell your 20-year-old self or your 40-year-old self?
0: Oh, what a wonderful thing. I would tell my 40-year-old self, don't worry, it gets better. (laughs) Oh, good, everybody. (laughs) I would tell my 20-year-old self, try as hard as you can to see with invisible eyes what is the reality and to trust and that means to trust that the universe is on your side and that it wants more and better for you than you can possibly imagine and if you all you have to do is listen to it so much of the time we get a information and we and we say oh that can't be true and we pass it away that's what i would say to my 20 year old and i would say love every minute of it because you're not going to be you're not going to be 20 again and this is a time for exploring and discovering who you are maybe that's all that life is i say that about maybe it's really only about Answering those questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Well, it's that changes with each decade. Of course it does. It changes with each decade because each decade has a different, a different path, a
1: different meaning. I just saw a book for you. Another one. Why don't you write for us those different decades? (laughs) <laughs> right, the different decades. Yeah, what the what the path is and how it twists and turns. You you wrote in your book a, a line that I wrote down because it, it's so pertinent in every decade. You, you wrote about the conflicts in, that were going on 30-some years ago when you wrote the Book of Angels, and yet it's as pertinent today. You said, it's sometimes a journey of anguish, this life, when the laws of God and nations conflict as they will <laughs> yeah. would you just expand on that the laws of god versus the laws of nations and that it's kind of the way it is
0: one of the things that is very clear and uh, um is that angels can do anything they can change the laws of physics but the one thing that they cannot do is to interfere with our free will we have free will we have free will to choose at every moment which path we're going to take is it a path of violence or is it a path of harmony and the angel cannot stop the murderers hand from driving that knife in. He can bring the ambulance, warm comfort, keep the keep the victim alive. But the murderer has free will to murder. The nation has free will to make war and send its young boys and girls off to fight war words that seem to have meaning, like honor, patriotism, nationalism, but which probably really mean oil, gas, gold, lithium,
1: minerals, me, money. <laughs> but it, but if, if the angels can't in- interfere with our free will, what happens when We're already blinded to who we really are, and we're making our choices from ignorance. That's part of the whole setup, isn't it?
0: It's the story that we have, isn't it? I'm reading Herodotus at the moment, the tales of Herodotus. little light reading before bedtime? (laughs) My light reading before bedtime is really entertaining. It is really good reading. And what it's all about is emperors making war on neighbors. For no reason at all, except, oh, he's got some stuff. Let's go get his stuff. Plunder. It's not, you know, there's no reason for it. Let's go to war. The way the Vikings would get through the winter and springtime would come and they'd say, hey, let's go have some fun. We'll roll from Norway down to the, to England or Denmark and go plunder. And then they'd go have a wonderful time killing, including animals, you know, oxen and cattle. And
1: so, what are the angels? Bringing- are the angels thinking? What are the angels thinking? I I love throwing these answers out to the 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 angel lady here,
0: watching with great compassion and love. I remember. I remember in my future life progression having this sense uh, of oh, humans, they're so dear. They're so adorable with their worrying about their little troubles. and They have such short-term memories. They can't keep anything in their minds for more than not a second. And then they're lashing out. Oh, and my heart just opening up. There's so adorable. Adorno that's what the angels
1: are saying. Well, I'm fine. Are you able to shift your viewpoint from human angst to the angels viewpoint today?
0: Yeah, but it shifts
1: back and forth because I also look at what's happening in,
0: in the Middle East and I am as anguished as anyone. It is intolerable, intolerable. And Yes, there's cause on all sides, and what do they do? We just kill each other. It's so stupid. It is so stupid. But that's what they did, also in five thousand BC, and that's what we will be doing in five thousand
1: AD, because this is the human condition. This is the point, and and oh, and, it, and it's and it's. What you shared here, that and what the awakened way teaching is all about—that we are not only human. That's the relief valve right there, the awareness that this is just a, a, this is a, a sidebar in eternity. Yeah, and we are making
0: huge progress. If you look back in history at the way people treated each other in Herodotus' time. Or in the Middle Ages, in 1200, and that's really only 800 years ago, or bring it forward to the 1700s, and how we treat ourselves now, what we consider right and just now. There is huge, huge spiritual
1: awakening. This is the thing that we don't see because we just focus on what's here now, but it's Definitely, my guide said we've moved from the dark ages to the dim ages, and that's an improvement. You know, tongue in cheek, but we do need a little humor sometimes, or we would lose hope.
0: Oh, absolutely! And you have only to leave. read a little bit of history to understand how far we've come. We are so the whole world is in upset about a war in Ukraine and a war in. Gaza. Imagine that. That has never happened in the history of the world before. Wait a minute, wait a minute, we got to stop this. This is not right, people are saying. And the war in Sudan. The human heart knows how we're supposed to be. And then the brain gets in the way and And wants and needs and desires and lust and greed and, and,
1: uh, fear.
0: Fear is huge.
1: Is this why we're given angels? Is this why the angels are here? I Say it again. Is this why we're given angels to help us through these times? Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: absolutely. We have angels that came with us when we're born and will continue with us through our whole life. Because as I said, it's really hard to be a human being, and and look at the children of today—they're so wise. They're already beyond anything that I've had. I've had a lifetime to learn, and my grandchildren already know it. We're we're becoming a better humanity. Absolutely. I really. I am very optimistic
1: about that. So let's, let's conclude this with you please addressing you, you were ashamed and embarrassed about starting the angel craze. How do you feel about it now?
0: Well, now it has very little to do with me. It's been taken over by other people. And I'm thrilled by that, by you, for example. Piggybacking on what I started, but starting something even bigger.
1: How wonderful! Well, that's 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 the evolution of the whole species, right? It's ripples. You just you sent the ripples out, but now angels. I don't have to.
0: I don't have to be in the forefront. I don't have to be famous. I don't have to be anything except go watch it at this point. And I guide. I am guiding a lot of people and I still give readings to people and I'm still writing and I have a book coming out, I hope next year, um, it's finished. My agent, a new agent has been plunked into my lap and loves it. And so that should do. And then what is the title? Do you have a title yet? I do have a title. The title is The Wonder and Happiness of Old Age. First to Eleanor. And it comes from my niece, great-niece, I don't know, cousin? I don't even know what she is. My grandmother's, my aunt's granddaughter. And we were having a cup of espresso in in a cafe in Paris. And she turned to me and she said, I'm 59, I'm going to be 60 in another few months. Tell me what it's like to be. And then she stopped, because she didn't want really to use the word old. In are 60s, you won't even notice your sixties. <laughs> but then I came home and I started thinking, well, how is it different being old? What is it like to be old? And why do we, why are we so afraid of being old? Right. Not actually afraid of being old. We're afraid of
1: pain. That we think accompanies old age but that doesn't have to happen wonderful well i love that you're still sharing your wisdom with all of us i went and i looked up sophieburnham.com and it doesn't exist anymore it doesn't well i brought up like a page that wasn't there is that your is did i type it wrong perhaps no it should be sophieburnham.com okay i'll have to isn't that interesting all right good interesting and I'll go check that out. You should check that out. And by the time this airs, I'm sure it'll be fixed. (laughs) Yes, great fun. I really love. I really love to talk about these things. Oh, I could talk about it forever. Ask my husband. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Well, what happens is our energy gets bigger and bigger and
1: bigger. Oh yes, definitely. Well, you have just a lovely energy. So much wisdom to share, and I'm so grateful that you came onto the scene when you did and answer to prayer. What a great story that I didn't know about the origins of how the book finally became published, but again, everything in divine timing, and it was just divine talking with you. Thank you for agreeing to be on the show. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us, and we will continue to have beautiful guests like Sophie each week, and Lots of things going on. I invite you to check out my website under featured events where we can meet in person or online and also find out about future guests. You go out and have a great rest of the day. Bye bye. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on The Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on MindBodySpirit.fm.